0: Welcome to What They Never Told Us, the podcast where we explore our own personal journeys in the hopes to give you some insight into your own narrative. I'm your host, Sasha, licensed mental health
1: counselor. And I'm your host, Crystal, licensed social worker. Yes, we are mental health professionals. However, we are not experts on anyone else but ourselves. You are the only expert on you. The information shared or discussed on this podcast is not a substitute
0: for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. Hello, 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 and welcome back to another episode of your favorite podcast. What I hope to be is your favorite podcast. Crystal and I today are going to be discussing another very important and interesting topic. But before we get into it, we're doing our check ins. So, Crystal, my love, my darling, my dear, how are you doing?
1: Hello. You know, it's funny because this topic. Today, I'm going to introduce it because I realized you didn't introduce it, it's on body image. So I think that the timing of it is very appropriate, I guess, just because I've been struggling with that a little bit. So I think today's episode will hopefully help me even to kind of like continue processing. So a little nervous, but also excited for today's conversation.
0: Yeah, that's funny. I have the same check in. It's not funny. It makes sense, but still, um, when I was prepping for this episode and talking about body image, yo, so much shit came up for me, and I'm like, wow, do I really want to expose myself that way? And it's super vulnerable, so I'm I'm nervous getting into this conversation.
1: You know, so no better way to fight the nerves—just <laughs> jump right in. <laughs> Obviously, I'm resisting. Like that silence was like very
0: telling. But before we begin, I just want to really quickly put it out there to our listeners that we will be discussing body image and eating disorders. And if you know that this is a trigger for you, this is your time to probably shut this episode off and put yourself first. With that being said, we're just going to give a quick breakdown of what body image is. Um, It's how someone perceives themselves and how they think and feel about their own body.
1: And yes, body image is a complex construct that is made up of beliefs, thoughts, perceptions, feelings, and behaviors. So, body image affects the way we see ourselves and our bodies, and it can have an impact on our health, our mental health, and our relationships. Overall, a healthy body image involves having an objective perception of your appearance and your ability to separate your value from the way that you look.
0: I want to point out how important it is to notice how body image will affect the different parts of your life. So in a Psychology Today article that I read on body image in America, it talks about how our body perceptions and our feelings and our beliefs govern our life plans. So essentially what that means is like, who are you meeting? Who are you getting married? Uh, what are the nature of your interactions like on a day-to-day comfort level? When I think about it that way, it's like, yo, this this will literally rule your life if you let it depending if you have an unhealthy or healthy body image. So it's super important to talk about these things.
1: You know what's funny? I never I never knew it was that in depth. Like I knew that it affected, you know, just how you felt about yourself, but not to the point where I would think that it affects who you marry. But I guess it makes sense because if it's influencing your self-esteem and how you feel about yourself, it's going to attract the relationships and what you think that you're worth. So it, it makes a lot of sense. And I also want to be clear that You know, we're talking about body image, and that doesn't necessarily mean that looking good or focusing on your appearance isn't valuable. You know, dressing up, feeling attractive, it's a great thing. And focusing on how you look is important to a certain degree. It just can't be everything. It can't be be your entire value as a person.
0: No, I find that so important that you said that because like something that I always think of when we talk about, and something you always read too when you even Google body image is self-esteem does not equal body image, right? So like what, I, what we mean by that is your body image does not determine your sense of self. It's only a small piece of who you are and your value.
1: Yeah, I find that so, uh, one of my psychology professors from back in the day, she always said that they should rename self-esteem to others' esteem based on the fact that we always place our value on others, on other people and what they, what they think. So I always think about that when, when I hear the word self-esteem. Uh, yeah, it's others' esteem. So... When do you even begin to develop body image? Um, It actually happens in early childhood, believe it or not. Just think about when you started to even think about your body, how old were you? As you get older and you think about your body image, you do get highly influenced by your peers, family members, coaches, teachers, and pretty much all of the people around us, kind of like the they in our podcast title. And also your personality can also influence your body image. Are you the person that's overly critical? Are you happy-go-lucky? Do you just go with the flow? Things like that can also begin to shape the development of your body image in your mind.
0: It's not just the individual's process. So like when you were talking about the developmental piece of a child, we usually leave it up to like, oh, this is their experience and this is what affected them. But I think something that we need to point out is how important family and, like, parents are in that relationship. And what I'm talking about is even the way parents speak about their own self in front of the kid, right? So, like, if you have, like, I remember my mom would tell me that she was fat, right? So, or she would comment on other people on the television and be like, oh, they gained weight and, oh, they did this. And, like, I remember thinking, like, because I was overweight when I was little.
1: I like that you reframed uh, that because I know normally you say, because I was fat. Um, So I like that you're reframing it and using (laughs) more accurate and appropriate language.
0: Thank you so much. Yes, I was overweight when I was little. And I remember thinking and feeling like my mom doesn't say anything to my face about how I'm looking. But if she's saying that about people on the TV and they're way smaller than me, what does that mean about me? So I really just want to send a message to adults that kids are always listening, whether you think they are or not. They're receiving these messages and they're internalizing them. So just kind of a reminder to the adults and the parents when they're in rooms with children to be very careful on how you speak about people's physical attributes and how that relates to people's value in front of children. Just kind of keep that in mind because I don't think that we're always aware.
1: I agree. And I grew up in a household where people's bodies were always being spoken about. When I grew up, it was always, you're too skinny, or, oh, you're gaining weight. Or, you know, like, it was always something. Like, there was never that middle ground. The other thing I want to say is, I actually was listening to another podcast, and someone had written into that podcast for advice. And, you know, it was just very clear that even in Caribbean cultures, Black culture, there's a lot around people's bodies. And Adults uh, to their children, even once they're older, speaking about their body image. I know that that's something that I still struggle with today with my grandmother, who to this day, every time I see her, comments on my body every time that she sees me. So it is very important. And I also want to say that body image influences all of us. So, yes, we're here, we're women, and we're talking about this, but it also affects men or those who identify as men. You may see different patterns in the ways that body image is developed within men because societal standards for men and women are so different and body image also changes as you age and you get older. So it is something that evolves very rapidly based on how you identify in terms of your gender and also as you grow up.
0: You know, it's it's funny to me because when we speak about body image, I, I feel like we leave men out of the conversation. Well, I don't know about anybody else, but I know sometimes I, I have a tendency to leave men out acting like they don't have preoccupations with how they look. But if you think about today's world and Instagram and social media and all these things, like I, everybody is concerned with how they look. And I forgot where I read this study, but Americans overall, well, more women in the study participated, but men did participate but just overall, everybody was concerned most and disliked most the parts of their body that people could see. So that goes back to Crystal's point. It's like others mm-hmm. esteem. And they were happier with the, pri- with the private parts of themselves that people could not access just visually.
1: No, but that makes a lot of sense, actually. I mean, I didn't know that. So thank you. <laughs> I learned, I'm learning today, too. That's so interesting. But that, it, it makes all the sense in the world when you really think about it. And then the last thing I do want to say about men as well, they face a unique struggle because of toxic masculinity. So as we, you know, as we're talking about men getting older, toxic masculinity can be really hard on them. Um, Society teaches men that to have body image issues is a sign of weakness or a sign of femininity and that they shouldn't struggle with those things. So a lot of times they're more likely to keep these struggles to themselves or other people may not notice their symptoms around their body image because people generally don't think that men deal with these types of things. So another thing to keep in mind that men and women's issues are different in the way that they present themselves, but they still happen for both genders.
0: Yeah. And another thing to keep in mind is when being around men, like how you speak about their bodies, because I think, again, like we fail to recognize sometimes that they're human, too, and they have feelings just like
1: everybody else. Absolutely. As we're kind of talking about how... A body image develops. I do want to take some time to talk about body image disorders and kind of ground the conversation within that so that we can continue to explore body image a bit further. So we have four main body image disorders. The first one I'm going to talk about is one that you're probably very familiar with, um, and that's anorexia. So anorexia is an emotional disorder characterized by an obsessive desire to lose weight by refusing to eat. It is potentially life-threatening and is the most lethal eating disorder with the highest mortality rate of any disorder out there. Individuals with anorexia often do not believe they are ill and try to mask their low weight. So, and I do want to also say that sometimes it's hard to tell if someone's anorexic, especially if they were of a heavier weight previous to developing the disorder and they've lost weight to the point where they're kind of what we would call average in terms of Mm. what they look like because I think when we think of anorexia we see these images online of a young woman who literally someone would say is like skin and bones right you know like they're just so thin you can see the outline of their bones But it's helpful to monitor for symptoms with your friends and loved ones if they avoid events where they eat or they cook but don't eat. So just being mindful or any rapid sense of weight loss. So just always being mindful of that.
0: You know, it's funny. I never thought about it. I never thought about it that way because you my my understanding of and it's funny. I'm a therapist of anorexia is like immediately my brain goes to like skin and bones. And it's it's true, like sometimes we perceive people as being fine, not recognizing that this is what they have to do in order to look, quote unquote, normal or average, like you said, to, to our eye. So it, it, it kind of blew my mind a little bit right now, thinking about what I have, maybe what I haven't been seeing.
1: I know when I read that too, just in prepping for for this, I was like, oh my gosh, I would have never thought about that. But our next disorder is bulimia. And bulimia is an eating disorder characterized by binge eating. So that's excessive food consumption, followed by compulsive purging to avoid weight gain or to relieve the physical symptoms that a person feels after binging. So purging usually involves vomiting. So a lot of times when we hear about bulimia, People think like they eat an excessive amount and then they throw up. But purging can also be using laxatives, excessive exercising or fasting.
0: So full disclosure, I um when I was in high school, I think I was 15. I was bulimic and no one really noticed. And it, it's funny because I never made the connection, but no one noticed because I'm 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 a generally I have meat on my body like that is my body type. So if I lose a little bit of weight, no one can really tell the difference and say, oh, Sasha, you look unhealthy because I wasn't getting to that point. But I do remember I became so obsessed with eating, eating whatever the hell I wanted because I was in I was in environments where people just ate whatever they wanted. And I remember like running to the bathroom wherever I was and purging. And I just I just remember like I even talking about it gets me flustered, but I did do it for about two years. And thank God, my ex-boyfriend, when I met him at like a little bit into our relationship, maybe about six months, he found out and he very, you know, very sweetly kind of asked me to stop and basically started monitoring me. And he was the only one who ever really knew my, at that point in time of my life until I became an adult. And like, I finally told my mom afterwards when the problem was gone, but for a good two years, I was doing that. And I think what stopped me was, I don't know what I was reading, but I found out that some lady got into a coma because she was bulimic. Like, I don't know what she, I I can't remember the details of it, but that shit scared me so much. I literally just stopped. And like, that's when I started, I started like to fight the urge to actually v- like go to the bathroom and stick my fingers down my throat. And this is explicit, I know, but and take the food out of my system because it scared me so much, and that and it took a lot to fight that urge, by the way. it wasn't easy,
1: no, I'm sure, like I think that a lot of times. Maybe when we see it on the media or when we talk about it, oh, like she's anorexic or she's bulimic. Like, I don't know how severe people think that this is, but it is. There's a reason why these things are um, in what we call the DSM-5, which is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, which is basically what therapists use to diagnose people. But there's a reason why it's in there. It is pretty serious and it can be very scary Uh, The next eating disorder is binge eating disorder, which is characterized by repeated episodes of binge eating without the compensatory behaviors found in bulimia, meaning you don't purge. So according to the National Eating Disorders Association, it's believed to be one of the most common eating disorders in the U.S. and affects 3.5% of women, 2% of men, and 1.6% of adolescents. All the disorders are very dangerous, but binge can be extremely dangerous if it leads to excessive weight gain and other health issues like hypertension, diabetes, heart disease, etc. And I think this one's hard for me because technically when I was younger, I considered myself anorexic now that I know the definition a bit better I understand that I wasn't anorexic because I wouldn't go the whole day without eating I would just closely monitor what I would have so like I in the morning I would have one cup of Cheerios like not honey nut Cheerios the plain Cheerios which I still like Um, uh, but I would have plain Cheerios with a half a cup of like low-fat milk and then for lunch I would have fruit and then in the evening, I would have salad with like a little piece of chicken, and I would exercise a lot. So it technically doesn't fall into any of the eating disorders, but that was something that I struggled with as I got older. This was when I was in college. I I was exercising a lot. Um, I was trying to lose weight, but I I guess I didn't necessarily associate it with negative body image. I think that I was. I guess now that I'm thinking back on it, I was trying to be skinny and thin and beautiful to feel worthy. Um, So for a very long time, I was eating healthy and exercising, I think that it did verge on the point of unhealthy because I was counting macros and I was only allowing myself 1200 calories a day. Even if I exercised, I still didn't allow myself extra calories because I didn't want to gain weight. And then shortly after I fell into such a deep depression and I stopped eating healthy and I stopped exercising. And I guess the emotions from the depression were building so much to the point where I would binge eat and I went from maybe 95 pounds to around 125 130 pounds within a month or two so I had like excessive weight gain in a very like short amount of time and I remember the reason why I gained so much weight is because I would binge eat I remember being sad and crying and eating like as a way to like literally stuff the emotions down and I would hide in the pantry and eat in secret. So like no one would see me eating because I was embarrassed about like how obsessed I was with eating at that point. I remember I ate like a cake. I baked one of those like nine by 11 inch cakes. And it was tres leches cake. So anyone who knows me personally knows my tres leches cake is like so asking good. for diabetes. It's, it's good, but <laughs> you're asking. It's a lot of sugar. And I ate the whole, like the whole pan in two days by myself. Like I didn't share with anyone. So it was, it was pretty bad. I think that's why I'm feeling a little bit triggered because I'm kind of remembering, you know, just back to, to that girl who was really going through it at the time. And I think like, I vividly like remember eating so with like such desperation to not feel what I was feeling. So it was, it was a pretty bad time
0: you're bringing me back and I will say that I still fight these things right like I noticed them more than I did before I think that I used to eat so when I was little I always talk about being overweight but I think I became overweight because I would eat to, and I was numb it was very strange I would eat just to just to do it um, and I do think I was de- I know I was depressed when I was little I think I've been depressed my whole life to be quite honest with you and it's Wow, I'm emotional. It's crazy. Um, it's fucked up because you, it's, it's an outlet and it's an obsessive outlet, right? So you're on one extreme because I've been on that extreme where I was only eating 1,100 calories a day and I got really, really skinny. And then you hit another one because you just get fucking tired. You're like, fuck mm-hmm. this shit. This shit don't fucking matter. Right. I don't give a fuck how I look. And then you eat because first of all, you miss food because food is good. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then you start gaining weight, and then you start feeling like shit about yourself, and you obsess about that. It's a very obsessive, controlling disorder. If you it, and I don't even know if I can. I mean, I obviously have issues with it, but it's it, it's really hard to to manage, and it, it it does fuck up your sense of self.
1: Yeah. Uh, luckily, it, that was, you know, my I, I started to self-regulate. I think as I was going to therapy and kind of processing, I came back down. So it was a short-lived experience for me, but it definitely is difficult thinking back to it because I feel like I also sort of blocked it out of my memory. I also don't have, like, any pictures of me during that time. Like, I I think, like, anyways... We'll keep going. Uh, (laughs) So the next and last uh, disorder that we have is body dysmorphic disorder. Body dysmorphic disorder is actually not classified as an eating disorder, but instead it's listed under the category of obsessive compulsive and related disorders. Because of the fact that with body dysmorphic disorder, there is a preoccupation with one or more perceived defects in appearance that are not necessarily noticeable to other people and are not truly disfigured. So what makes it obsessive is that at some point the person who is experiencing body dysmorphic disorder has performed repetitive actions or thoughts in response to their their perceived concerns. So this may be something like always comparing themselves to the appearance of others checking yourself in the mirror constantly, you know, like maybe like pulling up your shirt and checking to see if your stomach is flat. So this obsession causes distress and problems in a person's social life, their work life, or other areas. In order to be diagnosed with body dysmorphic disorder, the obsessive behaviors cannot be better explained by another eating disorder like the symptoms can't be explained by something else. So
0: I saw this meme or I don't know what they're called, a post on Instagram not too long ago talking about you you know you're a woman when and and I know it's not just women but it was I found that that's one issue with it, but the other issue I had with it was how normal it made it sound. Like it said you know you're a woman when you take a picture, you look at it and then you think you look fat and ugly and then months pass by and you look and you're like, oh, there was nothing wrong with me. I looked great. The fact that they equate that to the women's a woman's experience, first of all, is a real big issue with me, one and two. And the fact that we do this thing where we, like, I think that I've experienced it many, many times in my life where I look at myself and I'm like, oh my God, I'm this, I'm that, I'm disgusting. Like, I will literally call myself disgusting, which I'm feeling a little vulnerable right now, but whatever. I'll let it rock. Um, <laughs> but... It's it's so it's such a real experience because you're not I don't know what happens in our brains where we just kind of magnify things and we see only we we hone in on the ugly right the quote unquote ugly of what we think is ugly. And that's all we see sometimes and I'm not just talking about women I'm talking about people with a negative body image
1: yeah and I think that I identify a little bit more with body dysmorphic disorder when I was 15 and I was like monitoring what I ate because I would look at magazines so like for me in my house Victoria's Secret magazines were the thing the Victoria's Secret models do not have not even like a little bit of belly pudge so I would like constantly look in the mirror and think like I have to work this off I have to work this off I have to work this off and I would compare myself a lot. I would spend a lot of time in the mirror, like comparing myself to these models and trying to achieve what they, what they had.
0: That has a lot to do with the culture you grew up in, right? Like Victoria's Secret is a very American thing. And Victoria's Secret has a very specific body aesthetic. type for their models, right? Exactly. And you think about how that particular aesthetic is not representative of women across the board in America but yet that is the the body image that we all aspired to to look like when growing up and at least in in the time you know when we were younger it's very difficult to look at yourself and find what's beautiful about you when the media is telling you that other things are valued as beautiful and if you don't have that it's it be it gets internalized as I'm ugly. I don't look pretty. I don't have what's wanted, right? Um, whatever that standard is, it's not representative of the different body types that women have, and it's limiting and it's not inclusive, and it has a lot of people feeling that maybe they're not beautiful the way they are just because they don't have that genetic makeup. And I think that unintentionally we look towards what's the cultural norm to figure out if we are or not beautiful. And there's definitely irrational thinking in that belief and in that process.
1: I think that it is important to to talk about the culture piece and I actually want to jump into that next because there's a lot of different factors you know we talked a little bit about self-esteem and things like that but there's a lot of factors that if you developed a body image disorder or just have a very skewed perception of yourself based on how you look um, there's a lot of factors currently in society that work against us a little bit and we have to be mindful of but even before I jump into that, I just want to close out the section about body image disorders to say that the most common treatment for eating disorders or body dysmorphia is CBT, so cognitive behavioral therapy. It's a time-limited approach, but it works because it just focuses on the interactions between thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. It helps the person to be mindful of you know, how they're feeling, to monitor their key behaviors, and just reestablish or restructure their thoughts to help them get to a healthier a healthier relationship with eating so CBT doesn't help with weight loss weight gain or weight loss depending on what it is that you're trying to do, it just helps to restructure the thoughts. And there's some experimental therapies, like interpersonal therapy, dialectical behavior therapy, and just mindful based eating, uh, which are also treatments that are used for eating disorders. But still, the most common is CBT.
0: That makes a lot of sense, though, because it's it has all it has all to do with, you know, assessing your thoughts, your feelings, and how you act based off of those things, right? Because that is what creates your relationship with food and yourself. And I say with food because these eating disorders have to do with food. But I think culture will definitely play a role on how you see yourself. Right. Like so going back to that Victoria's Secret model, our American culture like appreciate, especially when we were growing up, it appreciated long and thin. Now, I mean, get me start on what it appreciates now because it gets me angry.
1: Right. It's definitely changed. It's changed very drastically from what we had growing up to what's the norm now. I mean, now, you know, you have to have larger breasts, a very small waist and very big hips, butt, thighs. So just basically, it feels like an exaggeration of the Coke bottle figure or maybe more so an hourglass. I think it's kind of like... Looks more hourglass, or at least at least here in uptown, because that that's also something that I I wonder too. Like, is that the norm in Middle America also? Like, I feel like I'm wondering if it's a New York thing or if it is like a countrywide thing.
0: You know, but I don't know if it's just a New York thing. But like you you know you think about the Kardashians and how they made having big lower bodies like super popular. Like, and the, and what stays consistent is like the small flat waist, as if you can target where you gain weight right which is wild uh and then that will change your relationship with your food what kind of food you're intaking uh your willingness to lose or to gain weight and it like and it, it inevitably alters your relationship with yourself because like we're constantly being bombarded with these message of what we shouldn't like about how we how we actually naturally look and how we should mold to look like something else like whether it's that tall victory secret model or kim kardashian which i mean It's a little ridiculous if you ask me, but that's just my opinion. But I do think that this has been constantly changing for women. And I think that through American culture, like in the last, what, in the last 50, 60 years, you see a really rapid shift in regards to women through pop culture, right? So like the study I referenced earlier from Psychology Today about body image in America, they talk about looking at Miss America and playboy centerfold models and how these model women became significantly thinner within the span of like 20 years from the 1950s to the 1970s. And then through that time span, like that's when the diet fad culture started increasing, right? Cause now it became like a thing to make money off of where you're going Mm -hmm. to have all these women who want to eat less and be thin. And and now it just keeps shifting so rapidly. And it's like, I, yo, what's going to be next.
1: The diet health industry, as long as (laughs) as long as there's money to be made, that industry is going to exist. And it's actually a 50 billion dollar industry and like fat diets, gym culture, social media influencers. They all are part of the diet health um, industry and they will continue to sell products and the image of what we should look like until there's no more money to to be made, unfortunately.
0: I mean, I feel that the rate that our society is going, there's always going to be money to be made off of how we look. And it's so crazy that, you know, you're talking about like these gym influencers and these people who are like, I'll get you skinny in three months. And granted, at least they're doing something a little more healthier because you're working out and you're moving. And I'm I'm always pro-, pro moving around and getting your body, giving your body the the exercise it needs because we're not meant to be sitting down all day. But it's so funny to me because a lot, what has become really popular is like, how do you gain like a butt, right? Like how do you get a booty? And it's all about muscle manipulation with the kinds of workouts you're doing and the kind of food you're putting into your system. And it is crazy to me how people get on this bandwagon so fast because this is the desired look at this point in time, right? And and if you can't do that through exercise or if you just won't do that, like how people re- will resort to plastic surgery. And, you know, sometimes you just cannot live up to these standards, uh, because everybody's everybody's body literally is so unique and different. And they're going to respond to these things very, very differently. And I keep feeling like we're trying to put like a, a one size fits all kind of model, especially with the the whole influence of the gym, like of going to the gym and making it so that you do it to look a certain way versus to feel good and be strong it like the message is just so off
1: yeah but I think the message is surrounded around body shaming which is also rampant yeah right now and, it, and I will say body shaming does go both ways whether you're too skinny or too fat or just like are not a certain body shape body shaming is is pretty rampant. I think that's why we see a lot of plastic surgeries because of what you were saying. Body shaming is so real and like the desire to fit in and be part of like the societal standard of beauty is so strong to the point where you would alter your body permanently for it.
0: Yeah, and now that we have social media doing us the favor oh, of consistently seeing people with you know, I appreciate those people who post like the the bad angles or their stomachs popping out. like, but that now that's also become a fat. so it, it's kind of funny to me how these things just keep becoming popular. But it's a good thing. I, I shouldn't say that, but like now it's I don't know. It, it's it's it, we live in a very strange time. Let me say, like we're constantly contradicting ourselves. like I, I and I'm and I'm constantly looking for a balance, and I wish other people would too. But I think social media definitely plays a huge role in not just body shaming in others. Cause now you're doing it behind closed doors and you're not doing it in public, but the way you body shame your own self, right. That, that mm-hmm. comparing like looking in the mirror and, and wanting to see something that you think is beautiful because somebody told you it was, and then looking at what you really are and then not seeing yourself for what you do have. I mean, it's all mm-hmm. fucked. Um, and lo and behold, I think after Facebook and social media becoming more and more popular, there is a correlation with higher numbers of eating disorders in America. So it makes mm-hmm. a lot of sense to me because like it, what we're doing now is when we're looking at Instagram or Facebook, or I don't know, whatever you look at, what your brain does is like, when you post a picture, it's looking for some kind of validation, right? So it, and it looks for it in a, in, in a way it does, let's say when you look for a reward when you're gambling, right? So it's, it's mm-hmm. not for sure you're going to get that that like or that reward or else your brain will get bored and not entertain this. But at, when you actually get that like of somebody you know, validating how you look or how you posed or whatever it was that you put up, it sparks dopamine to, to basically shoot up in your brain, which is a pleasure response. So now mm-hmm. we're naturally addicted to getting these external validating um, likes, if that made any sense. And now we are... Putting our worth on this and how we look in a camera, in a a, a picture, in just a little moment of time when we manipulate it. And then when we're looking at real life, it's not meeting up to that standard. And there's this mismatch. And of course, you're going to end up feeling bad about yourself because you can curate a photo to look how you want it to look. But do you look like that in real life? And how do you feel about yourself when you look in the mirror versus when you look at something that other people are validating? And maybe you don't like. How are you gonna like something and how? No one comes up to you and presses a like button on you. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if this happens in real life one day, but no one does that, right?
1: Black mirror.
0: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) you know, I've never seen that, but no one does that. So how are you supposed to receive that same validation in person? It it blows my mind, and I think that this is a huge part of why body and like people's negative sense of body image has increased so much.
1: Yeah. And I will say uh, also with social media, like kids are getting on to social media at younger and younger ages. So this conditioning uh, that you were talking about, looking for likes and things like that um, starts at a, at a much, much younger age, which is unfortunate because they're exposed to social media. They're exposed to these messages, which can be detrimental during a very uh, formative stage of their life. Like when you think about how you develop body image issues, what we said earlier at such a younger age. Think about what you know, what you're going through, like hormones, body changes, and identity formation. All happens from the age of ten through nineteen. All of the changes that your body's going through, like even puberty, like for uh, young girls, they get wide hips, breasts, um, young men start to develop broader shoulders, they can develop acne, vocal changes, you know, their voice changes, and you have very little control of these things. And just the hormones themselves cause so many emotions. And then to add everything that Sasha just said, on top of a state like, you know, being a teenager has never been easy. Before social media, after social media, like, it's never mm. been easy. So then just to add all of these additional pressures, I'm not surprised that the number of eating disorders has risen so significantly.
0: Not at all, because you're constantly in a position where your body's being objectified because you see other people doing that. And that's how you you become liked. Because when you're a teenager, you want to be liked. You're constantly comparing yourself and you're constantly being triggered about the shit that you don't like about yourself. Like who wouldn't? And I I shouldn't say it that way, but like, I can 100% understand why this happens at such a rampant rate now. You know, I, obviously this topic makes me riled up. Uh, It pisses me off that we're constantly being put in a position to feel as though we are not good enough. And this is not just with our physical state. I think it has a lot, it's what your status, if you're smart enough, it's just, it always feels like you're fighting to be enough, especially since I had. An eating disorder. And you know, my relationship with my body and food for a long time has been a roller coaster. And I can't tell you that it's perfect now, but it's way more stable than it's ever been. So I'm I'm grateful for that. And I think that when I made the switch to being a little more erratic versus stable was when I started looking at it from a, a healthy perspective you know, like what's health, right? Like what's nutrition? How, what does your body need versus what other people are telling you? Like what's, what's the science behind it? Cause like even the word diet, right? Like it's, it's limiting in my mind. Like that's how society has set it up. Like if you're going to be on a diet, that means you're restricting something. You're, you're not allowing yourself to eat certain things. But the reality is that a diet is not a restriction. Diet is how you eat. It's your lifestyle, your food choices. And when I started seeing it that way, I started feeling like I had a little more control over it. Recon- first of all, recognizing that body image has nothing to do with being healthy. Because like you said, like someone can have anorexia, look like a normal person, but still be super unhealthy. And you know, like they can die like that because they're not, they're depriving themselves of nutrition and we need, our cells need energy. Our cells need glucose to to function. And if you're somehow messing up that process, you can get real sick. I think that when you start approaching it at the from the angle of I want to be healthy versus I want to be skinny, there's so much that you learn about what you're actually putting in your body. And then you become more of a, you know, a a smart consumer, so to speak, like you just won't go like I don't I personally don't as much as I love sweets, I don't want to eat all shit like I don't want to eat it anymore as much as I used to because I recognize what the damage it does internally to my body. And I'm trying to keep all my levels good when I go to the doctor. Um, I think that when you begin to examine your relationship with yourself and how that connects to food, how you feel about yourself. And then when are you reaching for food? When are you or when are you not reaching for food? When you when are you depriving yourself of food? That's going to be very telling of how you view yourself. And it's something worth looking at. Um, looking at the kinds of foods you're putting into your body and recognizing and this is a big deal because going back to what I was talking about, like those three month track plans that are going to help you lose weight. For majority of people, I think it does work, right? They end up losing weight because they change their lifestyle. It may not get them to where they want to be, but eventually they're going to have to start recognizing like certain foods won't work for them, right? Because it is trial and error. I, For example, Rice, for some reason, will bloat me up, but I could eat potatoes, no problem. My muscles inhale that in. And like, I know this because I've been doing this for a long time, like trying to figure out like what works for me on an everyday level. I think it's super important to note that, especially with the relationship with food, it's a process. Like it's not going to happen one day to the next. And this diet, so to speak, that you have, it's, it's better if you make it a lifestyle and you enjoy that lifestyle. So you're going to have to put the work in figuring out what that is.
1: I'm glad that you brought that up because I believe in one of the previous episodes I was talking about that my body wasn't feeling good and that I wanted to exercise more. Um, and I've been working towards not changing everything about what I eat, because I think that that was how I fell down in such a slippery slope back when I was in grad school when I had lost all that weight and was only consuming 1200 calories so I I don't want to go back there but just more so like trying to incorporate some healthier things in my life instead of having which I've been having a lot of pancakes like 100 Jemima pancakes you know I'm like let me let me make some banana you know like some healthy banana nut pancakes right so like I'm still having pancakes I'm still satisfying that need right because that's what my that's what I'm craving and that's what I want and I don't ever want to fully deny myself the things that I want but how can I sub- substitute it with something healthier and I'm working towards exercising at least three times a week so like monday wednesday friday to get my body moving but that's that's where i'm gonna stay for now um and i'm gonna like get used to that and feel comfortable with that and then see what my next step is um and i say that not to like pat myself on the back but to just help you all understand that Sometimes when we want to change our lifestyle, the best way to do it is little by little so that you can begin to incorporate things, get your make sure that your body gets used to it, make sure that you're comfortable with it as opposed to immediately restricting all sugar, all this, every, this is bad so I can't eat it ever again, working to, to do that slowly in a way that's helpful for you.
0: No, I, I love the fact that you mentioned that because I... <laughs> I'm obviously not a nutritionist or, or or else I would have stated that I was. However, I, I always think about the relationship with food and like where I grew up in particular. And I grew up in a very Latinx neighborhood. And in wondering about the kinds of supermarkets that were available, the food that's available, what it has in there, why is it that I don't have a Whole Foods in my neighborhood versus the C-Towns mm-hmm. and the Key Foods? This also plays a huge role in... And why we become overweight without recognizing as well, because the quality of food, and this is a, a social justice issue, in my opinion, the quality of food that a lot of us get, you know, in these quote unquote, marginalized communities is lower than the food that you would get, let's say in the Upper East Side in their supermarket. And recognizing this and purposely finding ways to counteract what is in our environment is super helpful in in your journey of figuring out how you want to be healthy versus unhealthy. And what I mean by that is like, I I remember when I first started on this journey and I started eating really healthy, I'd get criticized by some people in my life and be like, oh, I don't want to do that. I don't want to restrict myself. I just want to eat whatever I want. And I always saw it as me fighting against something that's being done to me because Yo, like I get very happy knowing that my system has like vitamins from vegetables and fruits and whole foods because I've done the research and I know that this is way better than the processed stuff that is constantly being shoved down our throats. So after I also took that perspective, it really helped me recognize that I'm doing something good for myself. And in taking these high fructose corn syrup foods and All the the bad process stuff is actually hurting myself the same way Mm -hmm. if I had a disorder. So it just shifted my perspective.
1: Yeah, and I will also say as you get older, for all you youngins out there that are listening, your body (laughs) will also tell you that it don't like certain things no more. You know that fried chicken that you ate at 3 o'clock in the morning after the club? Mm-mm, not no more. Uh, so, you know, and a lot of people develop um, lactose intolerance and things like that as they, or, you know, like become allergic to gluten or just maybe become more sensitive to that. So, as you get older, your body also changes. So, just also keeping that in mind that your body will start speaking to you in ways that make you want to make changes unless you want to keep feeling crappy.
0: Yes. And aside from the physical changes, if you are on the path to making changes, I think recognizing like where your mind is and your your emotional status is around healthy living so you can have a more positive body image has a lot to do with it. So that means sometimes, you know, getting friends who uplift you rather than speak to you in a negative way and kind of keep perpetuating this idea Uh, that you need to be something different, right? Because if your friends feel that way, you're going to look at them and be like, oh, maybe there's something wrong with me too. I always remind people like you are the company that you keep. Be better with the people around you because if you're noticing that they're bringing you down and you want to be better, there has to be a change that's made. And I also think acknowledging whatever it is that's coming up for you in regards to why you have a negative body image, how do you keep playing into it and rationalizing it instead of getting angry about it or instead of playing into it um, and deciding if this is like the view that you want to keep of yourself. Like we all have ownership of ourselves. And it's funny saying that, but I don't think we get told that enough in regards to how we show up physically or even emotionally. You have complete ownership of yourself. And if you want to do something that's healthy for you, just go ahead and do it and focus on it and commit to it. And like, you'd be surprised at how that will help you just even even that even completing the commitment will help you gain a, a more positive sense of self overall.
1: Yes. And with that said, I want to end this episode with actually a book recommendation. Um, It's on my to read list, so I haven't read it yet, but I've listened to um, an interview with the author. With, and she was interviewed by Brene Brown. So, like, with Brene Brown's stamp of approval, you already know it's good. Um, and the book is called The Body is Not an Apology, The Power of Radical Self-Love. And it's by Sonia Renee Taylor. And it basically summarizes a bit of what, what we discussed about how healthy body image is formed. Um, because she talks about radical self-love in order to respect and love the body you're in. So uh, again, haven't read it personally, but she has my stamp of approval and it's on my to read list. So would highly recommend it for any of you. So that was our episode. Thank you all so much for tuning in today uh, and listening to our very vulnerable stories around food. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at Never Told us Pod and let us know what you thought about today's conversation. You can also email us at NeverToldUsPod at gmail.com.
0: And make sure to come back next week so we can tell you what they never told us.